Thanks for listening to FYI Stillwater, where you will hear information about your local government you didn't know you need to know straight from the source. Be sure to check out other news and information from the city of Stillwater at stillwater.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Fletcher, Director of Marketing and Civic Engagement. Today, my co-host is Assistant City Manager, Paula Dennison. Hi, Paula. Hello, Miss Sherry. Do you know what this is? Our first podcast of the year. Yay! Hooray! And it's a new year. It's a new year. Hopefully... uh, A better year. Anything would be better. A less pandemic year. Less pandemic year, yeah. It's just just time to start fresh. So we're going to start the podcast again. Okay. And we're ready to go. All right, let's go. So what are we talking about today? Who's our guest? So today we have Clint Oliver. He is with the Stillwater Electric Utility. He's the distribution superintendent. And I understand this is his first time doing a podcast with us. You can kind of see the fear in his eyes just a little bit. Uh But he's overjoyed to be here with us. He'll tell us that in a minute. Yes, he will. Okay. Uh So what do we know? Well, so a couple of basic facts about electric. All right. Um, So Clint and his team are responsible for operation and maintenance of the electric distribution system. That's repairs to restore power, construction of extensions to serve any uh, new customers that we have coming online. And Clint can talk more about this, but there's almost 500 miles of overhead lines that the electric utility takes care of, maintains. That's part of the extension. And we kind of noticed it with the ice storm back in November. Yes. Kind of like, oh, there really are a lot of lines. There are a lot of lines. Yeah, there are. Um, and that's the overhead. Now let's talk about we have almost 300 miles of underground lines. You know, I did not know that. That's so, a big number. And Clint can tell us the cost difference of installing underground and overhead. We have 10,000, about 10,000 distribution transformers, 12,354 poles. Somebody counted those. 3,940 streetlights, and then you've got all of the related electrical equipment that goes along with operating and maintaining that distribution system. So it's quite extensive. Yeah, we'll have to get into the details about this. This is fascinating. Yep, and Clint knows it. So all right. So he can tell us. Well, welcome, Clint. Hi. All right. Do you know how we start these things? We start with a lightning round, and Paula's going to ask you some random but revealing questions. Are you ready? <laughs> Let's go. All right. <laughs> Hear the enthusiasm, Sherry? I did. I did. I, did. <laughs> All I right. can't wait to find out the answers. Okay, Clint. What's your favorite dessert? I'm going to go with pecan pie. Why? I just like pecans, and we usually pick the pecans out on the pasture and pick them up and then crack them, and then, you know, it's kind of a labor of love, but you get to enjoy it in the end. So who's the best pecan pie maker? Oh, that's definitely me. Oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> I could see it written all over his face. So he said he said pecan pie with such pride. Yeah. So do you have a special ingredient, special technique? I I make a pretty good pecan pie myself. <laughs> well, we may just have to have a competition. Yeah, I think we will. Oh, I'm game. You're game? I'll be, I will be the tester. You'll be the tester? Uh-huh. All right. Uh-huh. Maybe when we get out of COVID, we can get we, back to the That's what we're going to do. Yeah, we can have a pecan pie bake-off. Sounds good to me. All right, I'm for it. All right, next question. What's your favorite game to play as a child? I always loved playing baseball. Baseball was my game. I uh, 
just love the sport, the team atmosphere, all that. Yeah. So have you done any coaching of? I have two small boys, and, yes, I have been a t-ball coach to little league coach. I once hit a foul ball. And everybody cheered because that was my best performance in baseball <laughs> ever. It was baseball is not not my thing. Uh, it doesn't sound yeah, like it. it. Was I could sort of play outfield if they put me out far enough, but God, I can't hit a ball to save my life. Yeah. I was never known for a big hitter. I could get on base, but I was never a big hitter. So usually, I throw in a question that nobody knows about to our guest. So I'm going to throw one at you. Through COVID. What have you missed doing most of all? What have you not been able to do that you miss doing most of all? That's a pretty easy one for me. I'm a people person and having some interaction with everybody, this this new world that we have between uh, social distancing, mask, and, you know, Zoom calls and webinars. I've, I've never been known for being real technical in that area, so it's kind of been a struggle. But just the face-to-face interaction, seeing the smile on somebody's face, you know, just the interaction with people's. Yeah, it is surprising how much just covering someone's mouth changes how you interact with them. Because you, you have to read it differently, or you have to pay attention a little bit better. Because I notice I do maybe read what they're saying a little bit. You know, sometimes maybe I'm not hearing everything, but I can still, still tell what they're saying. Because yeah, if, it, of the if way it's sarcasm yeah. or if they're being truthful or yeah, could, anything like that, so, you can see it on their face, yeah, full face. Now you can't do that. No. Uh-uh. You sound like we're living in a world of the uh, Charlie Brown teacher. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny you say that, Sherry, because um, my eyes are real small anyway. So when I smile... Oh, still they just squinch up, yeah, you know, so much. So that's the lines. only thing anybody can tell yeah. if I'm smiling or not, because then you can't see my eyes. We knocked those questions out really fast. Uh-huh. Well, let's just kind of jump into the uh, the interview part of this uh, podcast, and let's just start with your career path. So, how does one become a distribution superintendent? For me, uh, I, I started at the very bottom. When I originally started for Stillwater Electric, I started in the warehouse, uh, mm-hmm. and I started out as the uh, warehouse uh, assistant. How old were you? Uh, 18. Is this your only job? No, this is not my only job, but it was uh, my first real job out of high school. I started out there, and then an apprenticeship come open. We were talking about it earlier, an apprenticeship come open, and I put in for that and then slowly worked my way to become a journeyman lineman and through that process eventually became a crew chief mm-hmm. and uh, successfully moved up. As positions opened up, I qualified to be a supervisor and now the electric superintendent. Uh, I'm always surprised at how many people, this is like their the main job that they've had, this is their, uh, their career, uh, you know, from early on, and so I think that says a lot about the organization. But it is it's just one person after another uh, that has said that to us. So lots very... of lots of longevity here. Yeah. So how long have you been with the city? I've been trying to get them to change this rule, but I've been here since 1995, June of 95. But I worked about two and a half years, or almost three years, part time. So total, I've been right at 25, but on the record, 23, I think 22, somewhere around in there. That's a long time. So what has changed uh, in your department in particular? What hasn't changed? What hasn't changed? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as far as, I mean, just everything has changed. The tools that we used to use are completely different than they were uh, then. So could you go back and be a lineman? 
Do or would, if could you go back and be a journeyman lineman, or would you have to retrain completely? No, yeah, once you're a journeyman lineman, you're a journeyman yeah. lineman. Yeah. There's definitely some things that you would have to go a little slower at that you're going to be a little bit rusty at that yeah. you haven't done on a daily basis. Where when you're in the field, you know you do them all the time. But you know when you get in the office, you get used to typing and and dealing with paperwork versus getting a hammer and a nail out. So yeah. Some of those things you'd be a little bit rusty, but you still have the knowledge to and are qualified to go ahead and go back out there and so do it. So is there a lot more people in your department? I mean, has it grown that way as well? Yes, it has. I would say, I, well, I shouldn't say that it's grown in that area. The personnel is probably about the same number as it used to be. Um, we have uh, industry-wide with the uh, things going on in different areas, California and stuff like that. We're, we're, we're some personnel short right now, uh, but we're working on getting those replaced and uh, bringing new people into our team. So what's the biggest challenges you guys face with having all those overhead lines and the underground lines? And so your job is just to make sure that the infrastructure's there to connect the energy from one place to somebody's house? Yes. Uh, you can explain that better. Cause well, I gave, I'm a, we had a, a leadership class years ago, and I gave an analogy, and I, I, I don't remember exactly how I said it, but kind of think of it like your, your interstates. Mm -hmm. Your interstates are going to be your transmission. Okay. It generates from a certain point, which is our power plant, as you see. They're generating power. And then on your interstate would be your transmission lines. That's the, the ones way up high that are big. They're going to... Uh, send that power to a substation and that mm -hmm. substation would be like your highways or your city town once it gets into that substation then we break it down into a lower voltage and spread it out to everybody's houses so it's, it's kind of the same but not not exactly the same and we've got substations strategically positioned at different locations mm -hmm. throughout the city yes you have to do that for load management uh, if you had one substation to try to cover everything in the town, it would be it would be unmassively big. You had to deal with things of, you know, voltage loss and stuff like that. So, so that's why they're placed where they are. Five, ten, twenty-seven point three substations. How many do we have? We have six substations. Okay. So when the power goes out. Are you the one that goes and takes care of it? I used to be the one that's going to take care of it. <laughs> you tell, now you just tell somebody. Yeah. It's raining, you go. Uh, yes. So how does that work? Just kind of walk me through like a big power outage. What's going on there? Well, our larger outages, uh, like during the ice storm, um, we have a lot of system automation that will let us know when we have a major problem. Um, with our OMS system, it lets us know, hey, you've got so many customers out, so we start activating more and more crews so till we get the, full staff. So that's the website where people can go and log in and go actually look. Yes, ma'am. But on a, on a residential small outage, if it was after hours, uh, and Paula, your power went out, you'd call the uh, SEC uh, outage number, and then they would report it to the guys, and then the guys would come in, and they'd go out and fix your power, and then go back home. Sounds simple. It sounds simple, but I'm having It doesn't thoughts. work that simply. Yeah. So uh, what challenges do they run into? Because, I mean, it's not like they just go and flip a switch, or do they? Sometimes they can just go flip. It's not necessarily a switch. It's what we call a fuse. Um, okay. We have, during the summertime, it happens far more than it does right now, but we have a lot of issues with squirrels. And they have a bad habit of getting in the wrong spot, and then they usually blow a fuse. Once that fuse is blown, there's no voltage going to the transformer which doesn't go to the house so a lot of times we can go out change that fuse and fix it and be and be done 
there's any range of things that you may run into on a call. Um, any, anything from a breaker issue that's, that's not the utility side, that's the homeowner side, to uh, a bad transformer. And in the event that we have a bad transformer, they have to, you know, go back into the yard, get a new one, call in personnel, go out, take the old one down, put a new one up. So you do a lot of troubleshooting. Definitely. Definitely. They're, they're, and on that end of it, on the outage side of it, there is a lot of troubleshooting. Uh, one question we get a lot, or it's not even a question, it's like comments. Uh, maybe there's a, a, a storm event or something, and people are like, I'm waiting for my electric to be turned on, and I see them sitting in a truck. What's going on there? Sometimes we have what we call a lightning stand-down policy, and if it's a thunderstorm and there is lightning uh, in the area, uh, then we will go out on site and we'll wait till maybe that, that clears up and then we can get out and do our job safely. Um, a lot of times during those times, we'll go to multiple locations so that we can make notes, you know, at this address, this is the problem, at this address, this is the problem. So even though we're not out working in it, we're still actively trying to get ahead so that we, when we can work, we can fix those issues. And I, th I think that's an excellent point that you made, Clint, because um, any of our city crews, electric, public works, water utilities, transportation, any of those whose primary job is out in the field, especially uh -huh. to respond right. when something happens throughout the community or to our infrastructure, we do have that lightning safety mm -hmm. policy to where if there is lightning within a certain distance of their work location or the city or something like that, there's a time period that they have to wait for their own safety and protection yeah. because the city has an obligation to our employees to help keep them safe as well. Well, and ultimately, I mean, that's all of our goals and, and every role that we play is employee safety. We want, regardless... We do have that program. Yeah, we want to do that. I forget the actual name of the uh, system that it is, but I know it focuses at City Hall. So when there is a lightning strike, it will let us know that there's been a lightning strike within so many miles of City Hall. And then that thing has an active counter on it. It counts down for 30 minutes. And then if there's another lightning strike in, say, 15 minutes later, then it resets that clock. So sometimes that's when, you know, the storms are moved out and everybody's like, why, why are they still sitting in the trucks? It's because the system hasn't cleared us to go to work yet. So I want to go back to um, some of the talk about when something happens. Yeah. What are some of the preventive measures that the electric utility takes to mitigate something happening. I know we've got the tree trimming Definitely. contract. So talk about some of those other things that we're already doing. We're doing a multiple, uh, a multitude of things um, from system automation, which uh, basically we have relays in our substations that if they see a, what we call in our business a fault, if there's a problem on the line where it the electricity's not doing what it's supposed to, then it'll, it kind of opens itself up for a minute and then it'll shut back after a given amount of time. If the problem is gone, then it automatically fixed the issue. So that's, so that's some of our system automation. Uh, once again, back to the squirrels, we talked about that. Anytime that we get an outage and it is a squirrel issue, something that we didn't used to do in the past, is we'll go ahead and take the time and we've got some insulated wire and some insulated cover-up. Uh, we'll go ahead and put that stuff on there at that time. So eventually, you know, our system will have this in, in every location. Uh, but it's to help mitigate 
squirrel outages and you know also so they can't chew through the insulated I wouldn't part. say they can't but it's not near it's as harder. easy yes <laughs> okay yes. Well, I mean what is it with squirrels and chewing through things I you'd be surprised the things that they chew through yeah. we've even had aluminum wire where you can tell they sharpen their teeth on it they chew it flat wow well let's talk about uh, trees some more uh, because we do get a lot of questions about does the city take care of this downed branch or this it's overhanging? <laughs> yeah. It's like mm-hmm. whose responsibility mm-hmm. is it? The electric department, us, uh, if it is in a utility easement and it's in our higher voltage lines, uh, that's our responsibility. We will go through and, and trim those out. Um, if you have any questions, please let us know. Hey, I think this may be an issue. We'll send people out to look at it and investigate it. And they kind of put those things on a priority list. You know, this may may not be as big a priority as this one over here is. Um, and we've got six, six crews, five crews, five crews on board. Uh, they've got one hotshot crew so that if we have a little problem, they can bounce around and take care of our little issues. And then the other crews are spread out over our mainline feeders to go through there and they'll start at point A and they'll go all the way through to point B and get it cleared up. Uh, one of the biggest uh, questions that we get as far as trees is the service line going from either the transformer to the house Mm -hmm. that service line is on private property and we as a utility do not trim on private property Uh, we will make any arrangements necessary if you know if they hire a a tree trimmer of their own we'll come out and as long as it's during business hours we'll drop it out and let them do whatever they need to do and then we'll come and put it back up that's for free Mm -hmm. Uh, the only time we charge for that is if it's an after-hours deal. Say if they wanted to do it on a Saturday or Sunday. So yeah, we're working on some stuff to get to get out on the web page so that it's more. You can look on the website and see it, and you can see whether this part is the utility side or if this part is the homeowner side. We got some infographics we're working on, and uh, get those out there as soon as possible. Definitely. Uh, so which do you prefer, the overhead lines or the buried lines? Overall, I prefer the buried. Uh, you tend to have less less issues with I'm those. I'm saying hurrah because... Your champion. Yeah. yeah. Underground. But, yeah. But that also being said, that's all given within a certain amount of parameters. With Our distribution is easy enough to put underground. It's more costly to initially install and put in. Now, when you start talking about your transmission lines and that stuff, that's a whole different animal to get that uh, underground. But... Overhead is easier to install. Um, you have less issues with it because you can see where it's going. Yeah, and you, you can, can see. You can tell what you need to, need to, mm-hmm. need to find out. Um, underground, those outages, uh, for the most part, over, overhead outages tend to be shorter yeah. than underground outages because when you have an underground outage, you have to find it. You know, and none of us can just go out there and see. I mean, we know where it's running, yeah. but all these transformers, they don't show us, whereas an overhead transformer has a fuse, and you can go up there and see the fuse hanging. You can't really see that when there's 15 transformers tied together underground. So you also do the street lights. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so how do people report if there's a street light out? What's, uh, like, let's say I'm driving down, uh, you know, uh, Main Street, and there's a street light out, and I notice it, or or do I even feel I need to report that there's a street light out? I mean, would you guys know? No, we don't automatically know that there's a street light out. We do have a specific crew that works on street lights mm-hmm. because we have quite a few in town, and there's you know there's some out regularly. 
Uh, well, I do know we have the SNAP program that we get a lot of street lights reported through on that. And then also, um, you can call us at any time. Uh, if it's during hours, we'll take a message, we write it down, and we give it to the, the street light crew to take care of. So how would I do that? Like, um, let's say that I'm at uh, Hall of Fame in Maine, and, this, and it's midnight, and I look up, and I know... I noticed the street lights out, but maybe it's the like two lights from the intersection. Do I just give a verbal? Give us the best description of where it's at. It's on the north side or it's on the east side. You know, it's three poles down from it's this, not, this intersection. Because if you're working during the day, you wouldn't necessarily know. What we can do, uh, those circuits during the day are turned off. It operates off of what we call a photo cell. So during the day, when it's daylight, it turns the electricity off. But when it goes dark, it automatically turns the electricity on. Mm -hmm. So when we have on our main streets and those, those ones that run on a circuit, we can go out there during the day and we can cover that thing up, make it think it's nighttime, and it'll turn on all the lights. Uh -huh. And we usually let them burn for a little bit, kind of heat up, and then we can tell if we've got a bulb issue or what the case is, but we can go down through there and see them. But uh -huh. Any general description helps. So streetlights, um, are you involved in the LED program? Yes, ma'am. Well, tell us about it. The wave of the future? Uh-huh. Definitely. Um, that's industry-wide. Everything's going to uh, LEDs. Uh, our old conventional high-pressure sodium, mer mercury vapor, those bulbs and stuff are going to be going away. Uh, they're getting harder and harder to find and keep in stock even as of today. So the new wave is definitely the LED uh, street lighting. The fixtures cost a little bit more up front, but the longevity and uh, lack of, I forget what they call it, but maintenance issues. You know, anytime that the light's out and you have to go out there for the utility, it costs you X amount of dollars in that fixture. So the less trips you make to that fixture, the less money that fixture costs you, which your LEDs, uh, really save on that a lot. And they're a little bit brighter, aren't they? They're, they're supposed to be equivalent, but the biggest thing about the LED versus the, um, the high-pressure sodium, for sure, the high-pressure sodium is that orange color light that you mm -hmm. see. Right. That's, that's because of the bulb, uh, and your LEDs are more of a white, clear, mm -hmm. a, a pure light yeah. versus so that. They just seem brighter. They, yeah. they yeah. do. They don't have the, almost like a tint mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well. And, and how long is this program? When's it going to start? How long is it going to take to get the whole city done? Do you know? We're first now getting into the process. I believe we're working on an RFQ to uh, to maybe kick this off. To give you a start date and an end date, I don't. I I'd hate to guess. But it'll on take that right a long now. time. Yes, yes, it will not be an overnight thing. Okay. No, it will not. Or be. even a month. Or no. we're talking months. <laughs> right. I would say I would say roughly. I I hate to guess because it's all going to depend on. Because we're going to bring you back and hold you to it. I have no <laughs> doubt you're bringing me back. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah, I've seen the email between you and Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being our guest. And uh, like I said, we will have you back. And um, he'll be more excited next time. Yeah. Because he sees it's not as painful. <laughs> everybody's like, oh, I don't know that I want to do this at all. But once I get here, it's not so bad. This, no. is, this is one of those times if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, I would go, <laughs> like I was getting sick. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. That's funny. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to have you back, Clint, and you're going to tell us more about the LED lights and all the things you do to keep the electric running.
And thank you very much. All right, thank you. a lot of questions from a lot of different places including social media phone calls and emails so today for our first mailbox question paula um people are wondering about uh the long lines of traffic and i think this question just keeps coming back uh particularly over there on uh hall of fame uh, what what is the situation there so there's a retail establishment that is generating a lot of traffic and the queuing capacity or the ability to get off of the street onto that property so that you can get through the service uh -huh. um, is uh, less than was anticipated when yeah. the facility was built. So right. we're glad that they have a lot of business mm -hmm. at this retail establishment. However, it is causing traffic problems on Hall of Fame, and this is between Perkins and Main Street or Washington, I mm -hmm. think is what it's called at the time, maybe Main Street. It's still Main. It's still Main there. Yeah. Okay. So um, a couple of things are that we have been actually working with mm -hmm. the owner of mm -hmm. that retail establishment and they are going to come in they have made a proposal of how to remedy that stacking or that queuing that's happening on hall of fame and they're going to be working through the next few months to get that remedied and it has caused a problem it's caused accidents yeah. uh, there's been personal injury there's been oh property injury um on it so you know from the standpoint of don't stop on Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. find somewhere to park right. that's not on the street and get out of your vehicle and go in. That's our suggestion yeah. to anybody. Causes a fire service yeah, a fire issue. Lane there as well. Yes, there's a fire lane there and you can get a very expensive ticket if you are stopped or parked in that fire lane. That is good to know. Yes. Well, let's go to question number two. Does anyone know what's being built next to the gas station in Brahms on the west side of town? I think that's on 6th Street, so 6th Avenue. So the property in front of the old hotel. Okay. That, that's just past the on-queue. Okay. Um south side of the highway that is going to be a starbucks oh is it yes so if that's the location that this person is referencing i kind of think it is okay so in front of the old university suites i think is the yeah. name of the hotel now mm -hmm. that's um, been very underutilized and there is a developer that we've been talking to looking at doing something with, with that, that property yes but the vacant piece of property right there between the hotel and the highway mm -hmm. um, we have a proposal and have issued a building permit for a starbucks drive-through it's going to be a different type of service facility mm -hmm. than uh, the starbucks located on hall of fame um but it's just gonna be <coughs> i'm sorry so it's just going to be a drive-through with no seating to go inside. It is actually going to additionally have the inside. It's also going to have a walk-up window. Uh -huh. um, but they're going to do queuing a little differently mm -hmm. to where you have two lanes uh -huh. uh, on the property, not on the highway, 
not on Devon Street, but actually mm -hmm. on the Starbucks property. You have two lanes that you can queue up in. Um, and they have a different, it's a new model for them in their service. Okay. So um, they've timed it out how long it takes to make your Starbucks coffee. Mm -hmm. uh, and then how long from the time you order until you get to the window based on what they're making for you. Yeah. And they've changed that some. So it should be quite different and faster service um, when you get up there to place your order to the time you pick it up. That's just a much-needed service on the west side of town. So I think they're gonna, people on that side of town will be really excited for this. I think they will, too, yeah. And they already anticipate that they're going to have lots of additional traffic, more than, than they've projected on game day weekends oh, yeah. and graduation and mother's weekend and Absolutely. you know the sorority and fraternity rush and you know all of those mm -hmm. those opportunities just from Oklahoma State mm -hmm. not even counting the rest of the community of Stillwater right. the activities that we have and folks coming in for well, stuff awesome 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 I love it uh, well thanks for our first podcast. Yay! Yes. Yay! All right. 2021, here we go. All right. Well, thanks so much, Paula. Thank you, Sherry. Stay tuned for our next podcast. If you have a question for City Hall, email news at stillwater.org, and in the next podcast, we'll answer a few of them. FYI Stillwater is available on our website at stillwater.org, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you enjoy your podcast.